I'm Jake Corley. And I'm Mark LaCour. You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by Red Wing. This is the show for busy oil professionals who want to quickly keep their fingers on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back for another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 97. What's going on, Mark? Uh, life is good, man. The weather's nice outside. We're doing another podcast. We get closer to a hundred. You and I had a lot of uh, fun and, and a lot of um, met a lot of new young people in the industry last night. So, so things are awesome. Yeah. So last night we had the APIYP. I guess we can call it kind of like a town hall. It was an open member meeting. Uh, I think we had roughly around fifty people show up. Uh, it was super awesome. We got a lot of really good feedback from people as to kind of the direction that we can take. Uh, this young professionals group here in Houston. Yeah, and I think hats off to you, Jake, and, and your peers in that group. So instead of y'all f- trying to figure out what you want to do for 2017 for your group, you actually asked members to come in and talk to y'all, and y'all actually had some rigor around it. The um, the speed dating part I thought was pretty cool. Um, we all got input on different subjects. So this will allow you to and your peers to build that group in a way that's beneficial for everybody. So if you're in our audience and you're listening and you didn't go, you missed out. It was um, great beer, <laughs> great food. Thanks to Carbach um, once yeah, again. Thanks to Carbach. Um, we had some, uh, some, uh, we met a lot of uh, new people that are coming into the API Young Professionals group. Um, if you want to play a part in that, reach out to Jake or uh, go online. At, what is it, Jake? AP, API-YP.org. Yeah. And we'll put the link in the show notes too. Yeah, it's $25 a year, people. And you're actually a member of the Houston chapter of the API, not just API Young Professionals by default. So you're you're a a member of the largest API uh, subchapter in the world. Um, So they're going places, they're doing really cool stuff. I'm glad to play a part in that. And and Jake, y'all are just uh, rocking and rolling over there. Yeah, it was a really, really great event. And thanks to everyone for coming out. We met a lot of listeners last night too, which was different it was cool you know it was different yeah. it was just like oh hey i listen to the podcast and i was like well thanks yeah. you know that's awesome yeah. yeah it's another reason why we need to do a live event so we need to start planning that pretty soon yes we do hopefully we can do that for 100 <laughs> yep so speaking for about live events we're on the road jake yep we have the mid-continent digital oil field conference january 25th and 26th right in oklahoma uh in tulsa oklahoma uh, so we will be there for that. Doing a, uh, we're doing a few, a few different episodes, right? Live. Yeah. So all the whole podcast gangs will be there. Me and you, me and Patrick, Paige, and we're all going. We're doing a bunch of podcasts live from the event. Uh, this whole trip is made possible by the Oklahoma Energy Resource Board, also by uh, SOAR, Sustaining Oklahoma's Energy Resources, and V2Com, the IoT company, our Internet of Thing company for oil and gas. So we want to thank our sponsors for making this thing possible. If you can make it out there, you have to make it out there. This is a whole conference around the technology and upstream on land and how the big guys have used it for years to drive a good business and how now the smaller guys can. If you go, hit Jake and I or Patrick and Paige up either on Twitter or, or whatever way you can communicate with us and uh, let us know you're there and uh, we'd love to meet you in person. In addition to that, we have also got the NAPE Summit, February 15th through 17th, which I'm pretty sure we're going to be there as well. We're going to be there as well. Uh, process Safety in Oil and Gas, uh, March 7th through 8th. SPE's HSC Conference, April 18th through 20th in New Orleans. And OTC in May. And we're going to be doing a live episode live from the NOV Shrimp Boil. Yeah, so so 
uh, we got a lot of stuff going on. We're um, on the road. It's um, all really cool stuff. Another place, Jake, we're going to be at the Geo Convention in Calgary, Canada. You and I are actually speaking at, we're their keynote lunch speakers, which is kind of scary. <laughs> <laughs> I've never um, even been to Canada. <laughs> well, now you will be. Um, you have no choice. You have to go with me. Um, but if you're thinking about uh, spending some marketing dollars in a place that makes sense, check out Geo Convention. Reach out to Dustin. Um, he has a special for our, uh, our listeners out there. We're basically giving you a pretty decent discount or pretty steep discount on some exhibition space. Once again, if you make it to that one, let Jake and I know, and, and we'd love to uh, meet you in person, maybe even get you on the podcast. So we're on the road. If you would like Jake and I, or any of us actually to come join you at your sales and marketing meetings, your trade associations, company events, conferences, school, or even your gym, uh, reach out to us and we'd be happy to share details with you. All right, so let's get into our stories. Uh, so this week, we've got a, a bunch of good ones lined up. Let's start off with uh, Indeed. So most of you guys who are looking for jobs or have ever looked for a job in the past, most of you are familiar with Indeed. So Indeed is the largest job board uh, in the world. They have like 200 million unique visitors a month. And so they actually did a little bit of research around what are the top five places to work in oil and gas. And this is based on feedback from their users. Uh, so it came back as the top five, number one being Anadarko, number two being Chevron, number three being Plains All-American, number four, Oxy, and number five, Noble Energy. Man, what a great list of companies. And they all are great places to work on. It's, it's interesting, Jake. So Patrick and I interviewed one of the HS&E leaders from Chevron um, on our podcast. We actually did a Facebook Live at the same time just a couple of days ago. And one of the things that came across in the interview is how much Chevron uh, spends time and money and efforts to make sure their employees are taken care of, make sure they have advancement, make sure they're challenged, make sure they have you know open communications to the top. And, and yeah, I know that we've went through these round of layoffs with, with all of these companies. And, you know, that's just a business decision that sometimes has to be made. But the interesting thing with, with all of these companies that are on here is all of them have made efforts to uh, find other places instead of laying off everybody that they needed to lay off. And even the people they laid off, they put efforts into helping them find other jobs, even if those other jobs were outside the oil and gas industry. Um, you know, I talk about how great this industry is all the time to work for. And here's, you know, here's some data from Indeed uh, saying, yeah, here's the top five oil and gas companies to work for. Yeah, what they were really looking at was uh, the corporate culture, uh, they looked at the compensation, um, was the work-life balance attractive, uh, was it a good working environment, uh, and was there you know, a lot of continuing education actually provided by the companies. So uh, it, it's great to hear. And I think a, a lot of oil and gas companies are starting to try to follow suit. Um, uh, from I think Silicon Valley really set the standard as far as like, this new corporate culture is kind of like a new hype word, but uh, really just having a better work environment uh, for their people. And I think oil and gas is, is, is finally coming around to that. It is. It's um, So I've yet to see the ping pong tables or the massage. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, you go down to Louisiana and Smith Street with Chevron, where their Houston headquarters is, there's a beautiful gym they have for their employees. And their employees are allowed to work there free. And that's I've seen that populate in the last couple of years through the entire industry. Um, they also give them flex time. Um, they give them company time to do pet projects, sort of like the way Google does it. So, yeah, it's it's, be, it's changing. And, but, Jake, they're having to change because our workforce is changing. And one of the things that is going to be a big driver, I think, at the end of this year is there's going to be a lack of talent, especially on land, especially in upstream. So all these companies realize that in order to stay competitive, they have to keep their top talent um, and, and if they can't, that's, that's going to really, you know, smack them in the butt when, when prices uh, ease back up. So, um, you know, good stuff, great industry work for, you know, you've heard me say that a gazillion times, here's a little bit of proof around that. It will be interesting to see what happens though. Um, as these prices slowly rise and we get toward the ends of 2017, um, because 
Chevron's made a huge CapEx investment in their in their shale plays here in the U.S., and they, they, they had some pretty decent layoffs in the last two years. So it's been interesting to see, if, Jake, if we ease back into that war for talent. I, I, I think we may just actually get there, especially with skilled talent in the field. You know, if I was looking for a job in the industry, there's one company on here that I think should be on this list because I've been to their office multiple times, and that's Southwestern Energy. It's seriously like walking into a Facebook campus. Their new campus right off of 45. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's spotless. It's beautiful. Uh, And the entire top floor, from what I'm told, is sleeping areas. So if you're working late nights, you don't want to go home, you just go upstairs, rack out, start the next day. And how cool is that? You talk about taking care of your people. Yeah. Um, Hey, maybe oil and gas this week needs to build some sleeping areas. (laughs) That would be nice. (laughs) All right, up next. Uh, Will U.S. shale soon be getting a $50 billion cash injection? So we've seen over the last, uh, I think it was through 2016, uh, 70 new natural resource funds were launched uh, during 2016, uh, raising a total of $58 billion in yeah, and the, the, the large chunk of that, about nine, close to 9%, was aimed squarely at North American shale. So um, this is something we've talked about before. You know, there's a lot of money sitting on the sidelines. I mean, Jake, you're in this world as well. And it's um, it's interesting to see the actual data of what these numbers look like. Um, there's a lot of investment uh, activity around North American shale. And it's, and it's in ways that you may not normally think, Jake. So one of the things that a lot of these investors are looking at, and remember, the investor's really looking to do nothing but get a return on his money. He's not actually looking to become an oil and gas company, whereas the the operators and the people that own these um, large tracts of leases are looking to actually make a profit using the capital that they need from the investor. So it's it's kind of a um, almost like a partnering situation. But one of the trends that are happening, which we're keeping an eye on, is that a lot of this activity is, is looking at the older shale plays, places that you know people would say maybe they're tapped out. And what's happened, Jake, is that uh, there's been a bunch of new technology that's come on board that's allowing us to go back, especially around the geoscience, and look at some of the and, and things like refracting and longer laterals and measurement while drilling, uh, big data analytics in real time around measurement while drilling. So all that's coming back, allowing this, these investors to look at uh, these older shale plays, um, and it's really cool. So if you think about it, one of the um, when the shale revolution first happened, one of the things that people talked about a lot was how uh, quickly the decline curve was, right? So yeah, you ramped in, you punched a hole in the ground, you, you uh, punched a lateral, you perforated, you went into production, and then, you know, a year later, the production was 20% of what it was before. Well, this is showing another trend, where is that, that decline curve is true, but what happens as every five or six years, you have new technologies that allow you to go back into these older basins and go back into production again. Then if you visualize that, it's multiple decline curves stacked on top of each other over a long period of time, 20, 50, 80 years, which levels out the production. Um, so this is, this is you know, they call it the second wave of shale development. I firmly believe, Jake, that as we continue to do this show for the next five or 10 years, you and I at one point will be talking about the third wave of shale development, the fourth wave of shale development. You know, it's just going to go on and on and on and on. It's, um, you know, we, we are living in a hydrocarbon abundant world, and this is a perfect article to show why. And speaking of that, so oil and gas jobs are coming back. So employment in oil and gas extraction and services rose by 3,300 uh, for the month, rising up to 384,000. Um, and this comes in after, you know, over the last two and a half years, we've lost roughly about 150,000 jobs. So it's a far cry from where we were, but it's better than where we've been. Yeah. So this is a great article Jake found in, um, uh, what is the name of this, Jake? Oil Price. 
Now, the one thing that they they don't talk about, and if you any if you listen to our show at any one time, you know that I bring this up all the time. This is all talking numbers around upstream. Um, downstream has been on fire, especially petrochemicals. Um, midstream's doing well. You know, they uh, neither group had the layoffs. They actually both grew in the last couple of years because of low crude prices. So, as as an industry as a whole, you know, looking at upstream, midstream, downstream of service, um, we have a large employed population around the world. It's just unfortunately that um, upstream in the last two years, two and a half years, had to do a, a you know pretty significant amount of layoffs. But what's cool is it's, it's coming back. And and you know, Jake, we we've talked about this before, but and it and, and I knew it would come back. Um, the the thing that's driving a lot of this is the technologies have decreased the cost of making money in oil and gas in upstream. So it used to be needed 80, 70, $80 a barrel. Now 50 to $60 a barrel, everybody's fine. And you can actually make a profit. Um, and, and so as these prices creep back up, we need to hire, you know, more and more people. Another thing they talk about this, and we talked about this a long time ago, in another show is some of these cost savings actually aren't legit. Some of these cost savings are the operators, um, squeezing the service companies who literally had to have some type of cash flow. The service companies agreed to these low prices, which were much lower margin, sometimes no margin, right? Hopefully it just broke even. And that drove some of these cost savings. Now, what's going to happen is, I think, as we ease into this year and get toward the middle and end of 2017, there's not going to be enough parts and people and pumps in the service industry on land in North America. So you start seeing inflation, which means that the operators are not going to be able to squeeze the, these low-margin deals, which may start increasing costs. But I think it's going to be balanced by the new technologies that are coming in that's going to drop the cost for the service company. So I think net-net will break even for 2017. I think long-term-wise, obviously, technology is going to drive costs down f- across the entire industry, um, not just uh, upstream on land, but offshore and midstream and downstream. So um, it be interesting to see where it's going. But this is actually a really good article about um, how cost in upstream is related to employment levels and they do some predictions in here so one of the things they talk about toward the end of this article is, is automation um, which you know we've talked about a good bit but um, according to this uh, article in just a, a, a small increase in automation on the drilling platform can reduce workers needed by 40 percent so people will go hey well mark that means that means we're gonna lose more jobs yeah but there's new jobs being created at the same time so i, I think overall industries in a good place we're moving uphill um, you know, we're going to start hiring people more and more and more. Halliburton's been hiring actually like crazy in the field uh, here in Texas. So uh, a good article. If you want to kind of do a deep dive in what's going on, check it out. And I think also uh, it mentioned that one in four laid off workers have moved on to other industries. So well, on one hand, that's unfortunate. But on the other hand, it means less competition for those looking to get back into jobs. Yeah, and it's actually, we talked about our business drivers of 2017. It's like one of the fundamental changes. Every other downturn I've been through, the workers came back. And this time they're not going to come back. So um, yeah, something to keep an eye on, something that's different that's driving change. Speaking of uh, your business drivers, or I guess we called it oil and gas predictions for 2017. Predictions, yeah. yeah. So uh, Shell's multi-billion dollar ethane cracker plant uh, is moving forward uh, in, I believe it's Pennsylvania. Yeah. And this is a good article. And the picture, it cracks me up. It's a, a bunch of um, citizens in that part of the, the state protesting this ethylene cracker and i can tell you jake they have no idea what they're protesting <laughs> i mean it's 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 one of the safest operations you can do it's um it's being done by shell are you kidding me why would you turn away jobs from Sh- royal dutch shell in your backyard in a part of the country that actually suffered right they that was a that's a coal area of the country and that's was that was their big business and now you know all that's disappearing 
Um, the good thing is the township supervisors, after going through a 10-hour hearing, uh, went ahead and moved forward with the Shells application. Um, Shells could do everything right. Shells could make sure that um, all the concerned citizens, um, whatever they're worried about, is going to be taken care of as long as it makes sense. If it's something silly, um, you know, there's no reason to go down there. Um, <clears throat> but, the, you know, we talked about this multiple times, but this is where part of the industry that's changed and growing is products is um, our ability in the downstream part of the industry to turn crude natural gas into stuff. And in this case, an ethylene cracker uh, turns natural gas into things like um, plastics and solvents and adhesives, um, which is a huge growing demand. So this is great for Pennsylvania. I mean, Pennsylvania, you don't normally think of an oil company <laughs> going to build a big facility in Pennsylvania. The other thing, Jake, they don't talk about here, which, which we think we're going to see happen, is standing up these ethylene crackers or building these ethylene crackers takes a large skilled workforce, you know, five, eight, maybe even 10,000 people to build the darn thing. And when they first build it, they're going to learn, which now means in this part of the country, you now have a skilled workforce that knows how to build an ethylene cracker, which means that another company can tap, in that, tap into that workforce when they're finished and build another ethylene cracker cheaper than Shell because the workforce has been trained, and so on, and so on, and so on. So I think this part of Pennsylvania, you can see multiple ethylene crackers being built over the next 20 years because the other companies can actually tap into that skilled workforce and, and build those plants cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, um, which then you know kind of puts Pennsylvania as the forefront of the skilled workforce needed to stand up an ethylene cracker, which is you know just great for the state and great for the people in that straight state, great for the economy. You know, when you have that many uh, construction workers in one place, they need schools and grocery stores and hotels and laundromats and restaurants and bars and probably more bars. Um, you know, <laughs> and so you know, it's just it's just good for everybody. It's it's silly to see people protesting something that just so much prosperity, which Shell could have easily put this in another state. Um, but anyway, good article. Uh, if you want to kind of do a deep dive on what's going on, check this one out. So our next article kind of dives into the OPEC deal and they're writing about that the math does not add up when once you're actually looking at the the simple laws of supply and demand. What are your, what are your thoughts on that one? <clears throat> yeah, this is this is another you're you're actually doing really good with articles, although we haven't got to the last one yet, so we'll see. Um, but this is a good article basically looking at the math, at looking at what the US shell producers can produce, right? You know, OPEC is starting to or is attempting to do some production cuts to actually drive cost up or not cost, but drive prices up. And they're doing that in combination with Russia, which kind of scares me. I really, really, really don't like Russia partnering with OPEC. Um, that's dangerous from a, a U.S. economy point of view. Um, hopefully it wasn't, doesn't go any further. Um, but if, if you look at what they're trying to cut, uh, this article explains how the U.S. shell producers, if they wanted to, could make up that, that difference like almost overnight. Um, and so there's, there's, there's political ramifications around that, right? So you're having um, countries like uh, uh, Libya um, who are kind of exempt from the production cuts because the, there's, they've had so much war and strife there and so much of the infrastructure has been destroyed that, that OPEC wants to see if they can help Libyans stand it up and stabilize their government. Same thing's going on in Nigeria. You know, in Nigeria, you have a, a bunch of tribes that have basically fought over uh, rights and money from their oil and gas industry. And the, but the problem, Jake, is one tribe owns the pipeline, one tribe owns the refinery, one tribe owns the oil wells, and they don't like each other. And so if, they, if the president over there could just get those tribes to work together, then Nigeria can actually come back online, which in both of those countries are members of OPEC. Um, the other thing they talk about here, and we've talked about this a long time ago, is the amount of crude that sit in storage. So, um, you know, the U.S. has a strategic petroleum reserve 
so not talking about that, but just talking about outside that strategic petroleum reserve. We have about 500 million barrels in storage. Um, and China has about 400 million barrels in storage. And what everybody's looking to do, and, and these are all, in China it's done by the government, but in the U.S. it's all done by private companies. What they're looking to do is they're waiting for the price to creep back where it makes sense, and they'll dump that oil in the market and make money. And there's a lot of analysts out there that think that when these stored barrels of oil go back in the market, it's going to drive the price down. And, and I disagree. Because all of these stored barrels have different price points. Some of them are profitable at $45 a barrel, some at $48, some at $50, some at $52, and so on and so on. So instead of it being a flood on the market, which a lot of analysts think that's what's going to happen, I think it's going to be a trickle. As the price creeps up, a little bit gets released, a little bit gets released, a little bit gets released. Um, now, the whole um, the whole uh, OPEC-US thing, one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is that OPEC will set these boundaries like on production. But their OPEC members cheat on it. So the countries like um, um, you know, Iraq and Iran will say, yes, we'll agree to this, but then they won't stick to it. And I, I firmly believe that we're seeing the beginning of the destabilization of, of OPEC. And I think Saudi Arabia is aware of that. Um, so it's, it's you know, the Chinese growth, which fueled a lot of this, has slowed down. It's still growing, but not at the crazy rate it was before. So, you know, I, I still think that if you're looking to uh, invest in oil, it's a good time to invest. I think you're going to see an increase in geopolitical steadiness globally with a lot of the countries that had issues the last couple of years. I think you could see the uh, relations with the U.S. and Russia normalize. I hope so anyway. Um, and I think we're going to stay at 50 to $60 a barrel, which at that price point, companies can make money. Countries that need to import uh, can import at a good price so they can provide energy and prosperity to their people. And so I think it's kind of good all the way around. So uh, like I said, another good article written by a guy named Todd Royal. Um, um, but, um, you know, there, there's a lot of moving pieces here. And, and, you know, this article hits probably, you know, 70% of them. All right, up next. So this is a this is an article that I had questions about right before we started recording. Um, it's the topic is is there a conflict of interest with Trump's new border adjustment tax? Because um, like we talked about in previous episodes, essentially what's happening is you know he wants to penalize companies who are trying to move any type of production anywhere else. Uh, and in this particular article, it's talking about um, moving production to Mexico, for example. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this? This article made me laugh. If you read through it, what they're trying to show is that Trump has a conflict of interest between his um, border policy, so basically the wall he wants to build, and the fact that his business is involved in a couple of pipelines bringing uh, Texas shale gas to Mexico. People, those are two different things. <laughs> so the the shale gas going to Mexico is a way to help the Mexican people. They have a shortage of electricity. They could have built cold fire power plants, which have been horrible for the environment. They chose natural gas. Um, they actually have huge reserves themselves, but they can't get it out the ground. So they chose to buy natural gas from, from Texas. Well, that puts money in U.S. companies' pockets. Um, by providing the gas to Mexico, we're able to help provide more electricity for their people to pull their people out of poverty. Um, we're doing it more environmentally responsibly with gas, 60% more if you want to know the number than if they would have built coal. So that's one thing. The border wall, whether you agree with it or not, is Trump's uh, proposed solution to illegal immigration. So providing Mexico with natural gas for electrical generation is totally different than wanting to keep um, illegal immigration happening here in the U.S. And this... this um, the article has a, a, a bit of a slant to it. It's written, but this is a, Bloom, a Bloomberg article. And they're talking about uh, Carlos Sim, who's the huge telecom giant in uh, not just in Mexico, I think in also a lot of South America. Um, and then uh, Kelsey Warren, who's a Texas billionaire and who uh, runs uh, uh, Energy Transfer Partners. And they're talking about how they donated money to Trump's, Trump's campaign um, and that Trump owns shares in Energy Transfer Partners. 
I, I, Jake, I don't really care about any of that. I want a strong business person to lead this country. I don't want somebody that makes bad business decisions. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want somebody that went bankrupt 10 times, you know, and has, doesn't have a penny to his name because just because Trump made smart business decisions, I, I think that's a good thing as far as being a good leader for this country. Um, and then it talks about the U S government getting involved. Um, there's a, 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 you know, you have that whole uh, North Dakota thing and those, that group is, is, starting to get involved in some of this, trying to shut down some of these pipelines. And it's just, people stop it. I mean, this is a great um, a great thing for, for everybody. A natural gas in a pipeline is the safest way to fuel anything. It's the most environmentally responsible way to, 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 to move energy around, uh, generating electricity for your country's people so that their kids can have internet access and so they can have refrigerators and so you can have hospitals is a great thing. Doing it with natural gas, which is so much cleaner for the environment, is an awesome thing. So, you know, Jake, sometimes, you know, I, I just think people want to protest without knowing what the heck's really going on. This is all good stuff. And this article is written in, in a kind of a a slant, kind of uh, making this look like it's it's not a good thing, but it's, it's actually a really good thing. And that about wraps up our story. So thanks for clarifying that. Uh, so next up, we have a winner. Yeah. So congratulations, Dalton DeWinney with a Crown Quest. He's a roustabout. Oh, awesome. We finally got a roustabout to win the awesome, the incredible Red Wing Offshore bag. Um, if you would like to win a, a Red Wing Offshore bag, it's really easy. It's no purchase necessary. See official sites for rules and details. You simply go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Throw your info in there and Jake and I give away one lucky winner a week. A week. And Jake, you're getting a Red Wing bag finally. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's in the mail. It's being shipped right now. Um, so, um, uh, you know, you will now join the rest of us that have a red wing bag. So you don't kind of like stick out like the redhead step. <laughs> I'll put that to good use in the next few weeks. All right. Up next is our, uh, rig count. So our rig count is up five this week for a total of 658. So once That's again, awesome. over the last, like what, like seven, how many episodes has it been now since I've been on six, six or seven, I think. Maybe yeah, I think seven. Okay. So seven episodes, we're turning up. So the rate count's going up, so things are looking good. Yep, and you skipped events on deck. That's okay. That's why I'm here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so events on deck, if you'd like to know about uh, the oil and gas events that's going on, it's really easy. Jacob put a link in the show note. I have a newsletter that I could charge you for, but I give away free where we put all the events in one place. And a lot of times we have free passes or uh, insider scoop to events the public doesn't know about. So go sign up. Um, so the first one is the Society for Petroleum Resource Economics. They're doing an introduction into exploration economics. Thursday, January 26th at the Black Labrador. Um, it's uh, This is a group of... of, of um, uh, ec economic experts in oil and gas. They get together uh, once a month. Their group is growing. Uh, JC runs that group. If you want to get deep into the finance of oil and gas, go check this stuff out. And they have a good time. We also have the SBE Hydraulic Fracturing Conference and Exposition. It's in the Woodlands on January 24th and 26th. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's it's a hydraulic fracturing conference, but it's showing um, not just existing, but new uh, uh, technologies used in, in the frack fields. So we try to make this every year. We're not going to actually make it this year because we have um, other obligations. But Jake, do you know Alec Ep Epstein? No, I don't. Yeah, we, we need to maybe get him on the show. So Alec Epstein will actually kick off the event. Um, he wrote a book, Jake, called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. And he basically, in his book, and he's, he's, a, he's, he's a millennial, right? And he, he does some crazy stuff. Like he'll go to these oil and gas protest and he'll be wearing a shirt saying i love fossil fuels and he'll, <laughs> he'll interview the people out there and without trying to make them look stupid they make themselves look stupid it's really funny but he's gonna be uh, kicking off the um 
the SP Hydraulic Fracking Conference, uh, doing a presentation around his book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. If you've never listened to him, go listen to him. He's, 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 a, he's a great speaker, and he's funny as all get out. And then we also have the ISA Houston uh, chapter uh, doing their sporting clays. It's uh, January 27th. Um, all their money goes for college scholarships. ISA is a great group. Um, they're a big supporter of the podcast. So if, if you'd like to do sporting clays, go uh, sign up your team because um, it's probably filling up pretty fast. And then first Friday Q&A. We, uh, our last first Friday Q&A was awesome. Uh, if you have any questions that you'd like to ask Jake and I, and please remember, the goal is not to stump us. <laughs> the, the, the goal, but if you do, that's good. We'll, we'll, we'll give you kudos for it. But the goal is to ask things that you want uh, input on. Um, and, and the cool thing is, last time, Jake, we had actually a, a couple, we had one or two people ask you questions about entrepreneurship and startups. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's Jake specially. So if you want to know what's going on in that world or how to uh, how to best position something, reach out, uh, shoot us a question. Uh, the best way to do that is we have a website now. It's uh, basically Oil and Gas H. I'm oh, sorry, <laughs> wrong web, wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's oilandgasthisweek.com. Go to the website. There's a, a click a button where you can ask a question, type in your question, and we uh, tally them all up. We'll give you a big shout out if we use your question on the show. Um, that's also a place where you can go sign up. We have a, an email sign up. We won't spam you. Promise. You go give us your email address, and we'll let you. We'll notify you automatically of every new podcast that goes out, every new live event, uh, any uh, you know Facebook live posts we're doing, any of that sort of stuff. So go scoot over there and uh, go sign up for our email list. We also have Review. our LinkedIn group. So yeah. if you guys are interested in kind of joining the community and uh, jumping in on the conversation, go check it out. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and if you enjoy what we're doing. Please, please, please uh, help us out. Leave us a review. It helps us gain exposure. It helps us really just put more into the podcast because um, without that, it's really just me and Mark talking to each other. Um, yeah. So, Hey, Jake, we need to make sure that next show we start giving a shout out to people left us reviews. We haven't done that in a while. We need to let people you know, give them credit for taking That's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So um, then last last but not least, it's um, I broke the feed. If you listen to the Oil and Gas HSE podcast in iTunes. So if you listen, uh, you need to go back in iTunes, search for Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE podcast. There's a new feed. Subscribe. And I promise we won't break it again. For now, for at least yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that kind of about wraps it up. Jake, you ready to get out of here? Let's take off, man. So remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time.